Hey everybody, it's Jeff. We wanted to let you know we recorded this podcast episode on Monday, January 29th, 2024. By the time you hear this, some things may have changed, but we hope you enjoy the show. Listening to Table Talk here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. Over 10 and a half years strong, we got a great discussion coming your way this week. I'm really excited about this particular interview and discussion we're going to be diving into because, from a social standpoint, here at the PSD Podcast Show over the years, we've dove into this every now and again, this subject matter, and it's a subject matter of women in sports what women in sports actually means at certain levels and, uh, you know, sometimes the inequities of women in sports. But what it, what women in sports and girls in sports, female athletes, what the experience is, how we can get better with it, and how it really helps to shape young ladies, women in general, and in terms of sports and our culture. So it, it, it's, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Hope you stick around for it. We got a great guest, so let's get into it. It is great to have back on the podcast. We're usually talking Philadelphia Flyers with her because she is awesome on the Locked On Flyers podcast. I listen on Apple Podcasts, and uh, you should definitely check out their content, again, at the Locked On Flyers podcast. But we have one of their co-hosts to get into this very interesting subject matter, something that we've been wanting to talk about for some time here at the PSD Podcast Show, as I mentioned in the intro, female uh, 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 the female sports experience and women in sports. We've got the one and only Rachel Donner. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing good. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Uh, Females in sports, do it very much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm I mean, locked on flyers. But. Yeah, we've you know over the years, Rachel, on our on our podcast platform, the ten and a half years we've been doing this, we've dove into a few stories here and there. As it pertains to females and female uh, sports athletes, and just the female, you know, experience in a way. As it pertains to my daughters, my co-host, uh, his daughter, and what she's been through over the years, we've kind of gotten into some stories here and there about that, but not necessarily a dedicated show as this one is. So it's really great to have you on and to get your perspective. And uh, um, I, I, I look at. I look at the the quote issue, and it, it shouldn't, even, in my opinion, shouldn't even be an issue. But you know, we looked. I look at this issue of women in sports, and, and I, I I think we have certainly progressed in the world of women's sports. Say maybe over the past two decades. Again, this is my perspective. You may you may feel completely different. I still feel like we have a long way to go before the playing field is even out between males and females in, in terms of the sports experience. So I, I guess to start off this conversation here, I guess two-part question. One, where has the sports world gotten it right when it comes to women's athletics, and where have they really gotten it wrong? So why don't we start off talking about it there? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's a loaded question. Um, first off, 
the sports world didn't get it right. And it took outside influence to start things on the right path. Right. So in 1972, you have Title IX, which is the civil rights law uh, that prohibited uh, sex based discrimination in school or education programs that receive federal funding. And that was revolutionary in terms of, you know, creating balance and scholarship opportunities for women athletes, uh, for creating programs that maybe didn't exist before and adding D1 programs, adding D2, D3 programs to schools that didn't didn't have them before. And it created a lot more of a feeder system that then trickles down, right? So you have like youth programs and and middle school and high school programs to then feed into these now established college programs and created a whole new structure that really hadn't been there before. And um, I remember my mom was a basketball player in high school okay. in the, uh, let's, let's say the early 60s. Okay. okay? There were rules about not being able to pass more than a certain distance because they felt it was too much exertion. Really? Okay. Too much exertion <laughs> on yeah, the like female you had, body? You could only go Gosh. a certain distance before you had to pass, right? Wow. Now, my mother is also like barely five feet tall, so she didn't advance beyond okay. high school basketball <laughs> gotcha. at the time. But um, God bless her. Great athlete. Not meant for basketball. Right. But, um, <laughs> But like it just goes to show how far we've come since then in in sports just based on Title IX alone. And so I think there's a lot of good that has come from it as a result of Title IX. Right. It's like then you look at the what's not so right and you look at all of the structures in place. And and you think about leagues like, you know, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. All of, you know, been around like decades and in some cases over a hundred years. Right. Right. Yeah. And they've had all this time to develop and build and grow. And women's pro sports in particular has only really existed, you know, in since the 70s, I want to say. Just a few decades. Yeah. Right. So you look at like maybe the early, um, you know, women's golf circuit, you look at, you know, Billie Jean King and and the women's tennis tour and all of that, like other than the Olympics, you really didn't have like a a strong platform for women's pro sports. And so there's this expectation and this, I think, societal judgment on women's pro sports in a way that doesn't respect a, the societal structures that have been against their success this whole time doesn't respect the amount of time that men's sports have had right. to develop yeah. all this time. And then you have like a sports media landscape that um, I believe the stats is like three to 5% max of, you know, sports media broadcasting is spent on women's sports. Wow. And yeah, it's atrocious. It, it's like only gotten better in terms of women being involved as broadcasters and commentators on the men's side. You see, you we've seen that grow and develop, but actually having a lot more dedicated airtime and prime airtime where it's like you don't have to pay an extra fee. It's not the o- on the Ocho or something right. like that, you know? <laughs> right. It's It's like... Where has the time and the investment been in in pro women's sports? And I think we're we're starting to see that get a little better now, um, you know. And it all ends up with 
women's pro athletes, should we pay them a living wage? I mean, the answer is yes. Well, of course. But it has yeah. not existed. Right, right. <laughs> in, in women's pro sports to a large degree. I would say maybe soccer has done an okay job of it in some cases, but not all. Basketball has just started to get there, but not really, because part of the WNBA players play overseas in their offseason, and yeah. that leads to wear and tear and injuries, whole other slew of things. That's another topic for another day. But it's like, you know, hockey, we just got the PWHL, which is right. the first league to have a living, a mostly living wage right. for their, <laughs> their players. You know, so it's like, how do you expect professional athletes to excel at an elite level when you don't pay them and support them in order to do so. I think that's a great point. I really do. And it, you know, I mean, what again, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on too aside from your knowledge is the last time you were on, we were talking, you know, prior to hitting the record button about, you know, we had John talk about the Flyers, but you know, we right. we were specifically talking about the fact that the city of Philadelphia, you know, a sports town that we we follow, um, you know, and, and here on this podcast, you know, the five major sports teams, you know, we're really following them. But we, you and I talked, Rachel, about the fact that the city of Philadelphia doesn't have an, a WNBA team. And it's astonishing uh. to me why that <laughs> why I, it's amazing, because like and I'm wondering, do you think it's I mean, considering that the Philadelphia sports market is the fourth largest sports team television market in the United States. It's baffling to me, but in the fact that the Philadelphia area and in this region of Pennsylvania has such a rich basketball tradition in terms of its history, it's baffling to me that, that we don't have a WNBA NBA team in Philadelphia. Why do you think this is like, I'd love to hear your opinions on this. Yeah, man, all I want before I die is to have a WNBA team in Philadelphia with Don Staley as the head coach. Oh, there you like, go. Give me this. Give there me this yes. world. Um, she's doing very well yeah. and is very successful in her college coaching career. Yes. But um, Philadelphia sports legend, my favorite Philadelphia athlete of there all time. There you go. Hands down, Hands down like no question. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, with the WNBA, we can talk about the other sports as well, like with soccer and with hockey Absolutely. and 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 why they're not in Philadelphia either. But um, WNBA started in 1997. Um, there's been up to 18 teams. Currently, there are 12. Um, they have not done any expansion in that league since 2008. There's been a couple of relocations, but until this upcoming, not this summer, but next summer, uh, the Bay Area is getting a team, and that's the first new team since Atlanta right. in 2008. Uh, so they have kept it pretty tight um, because they went through rapid expansion and then had to contract a little bit. I think they're very gun shy about about expansion, and they want to make sure it's right. Um, and so they've been hesitant to do that. But we're at a breaking point with the WNBA is that there aren't enough roster spots to support the amazing talent coming out of college basketball yeah. right now, women's yeah. college basketball. And we've seen the growth of the women's final four and just how huge it is and successful. And um, we had that whole thing uh, in the bubble with uh, Sedona Prince and she brought attention to the inequities of, you know, the training yeah. facilities and the food and all of that. It was like 
it was a moment. It was it was quite a thing. And so, uh, you know, I think that the, the WNBA really had no choice to expand. Now, why not Philadelphia? I think I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's always about the money. And there hasn't been the impetus from Sixers ownership. And the WNBA is very dedicated to having partnerships with the NBA franchises and having mostly, you know, affiliations. Like there's exceptions, you know, the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, there's no NBA team in Las Vegas, but right. um, there's, you know, they need strong ownership. Um, and the most recent CBA that the WNBA had, you know, increased pay by a lot, increased benefits by a lot. They have maternity leave now, like all of this stuff that you don't think about with standard player contracts on the men's side is now becoming, you know, a thing on, on the women's Hopefully side. Hopefully a standard as, for the future. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And frankly, there should be more paternity leave too. Yes. But that being said, um, I think that you know, because of how tightly the WNBA has been managed, um, you know, there hasn't really been the opportunity. The other thing with Philadelphia is, and this is across the board, there's a geography problem here because okay. these leagues always want to put a team in New York. Sometimes I think it's warranted and sometimes I don't think it is. And there's, I can, again, that's a, a side topic, but, right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I live in New York and I think there are reasons to not put pro sports teams here in general, not just women's. Right. But um, that'll never happen because it's New York. And then you have Washington, D.C., right? And D.C. has had a WNBA team since the second year of the league. I was actually an original season ticket holder of the Washington Mystics. Okay. Um, and went to those games for three years. Um, and then I actually, uh, disclaimer, I did work as a intern for the uh, – the Utah Stars, which are now the Las Vegas Aces, Aces yeah. through, you know, movement and reloads and all of that. But um, so I have experience with the the origins of the WNBA and, you know, it has grown so much. But we're in this geography crunch here where, you know, I think they feel like especially in some of the other leagues uh, in soccer in particular, you know, sometimes the the team plays in New Jersey. So they think, oh, people from Philly can just come up to North Jersey if they huh. want to see women's okay. sports. <laughs> and yeah, I just think there's a geography crunch and it's a money thing that like it's just that there hasn't been a solid ownership group that's come to the forefront. So like it's the it's, will of the ownership, like we need the will of the ownership to actually do it. Or yeah, when you mean like it, the money, they feel like it, they're just going to be burning through money and it's not going to be well worth no, their investment. It's the will. It's the will. It's the will yeah. because yeah, that's what it's I been proved. Yeah. There, the proof is there now. Yes. Like, there's no question. I can see why there was some hesitancy, but, it, you know, Sixers ownership is its own animal, right? Absolutely. You know, Josh and, Harris is his own animal for sure. <laughs> right. And, you know, the fact that they own teams like, you know, the Devils and they're they're not really. Washington Commanders. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're not Philly people. Right. They're sports people. Yep. And, like, I think it would behoove them to have, you know. A women's absolutely WNBA team in in their <laughs> yes. umbrella, but you know, I don't have the money. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, what about some uh, of the other sports that you were talking about too? Yeah. Like aside from the NBA, and why we aren't necessarily aren't necessarily seeing that. Yeah. So I think, interestingly, if I were to predict which 
sport would have the first Philadelphia area team, yeah. I would say it's soccer is the most likely. Okay. And I say that because of the volume opportunities. And I say that also because of um, stadium opportunities. So we have the Philadelphia Union. Um, Subaru Park is gorgeous. Um, I love going to to matches there. And so you already have, you know, a, a stadium there and you have multiple leagues. Right. So there are opportunities. So we do have the NWSL, right? Uh, but there is another league and I, I don't know how deep, you know, union fans are here on that, but there's the USL, right? Which is the tier two. Yes soccer league that you know feeds into major league soccer sometimes um and the the usl created um the w league right so that's a d2 women's league that has 44 teams there's one in central pennsylvania and i think there's a team in north jersey there as as well but that's like kind of a a semi-pro you know, feeder league that allows women's college soccer players who don't get drafted into the NWSL somewhere to go. They have announced a super league, which was originally going to be a D2 league, but they pushed it a year. And now they're going to be a D1 league that will rival the uh, NWSL. So they're starting this summer. And interestingly, they're going to play on the international schedule. So the NWSL plays on the spring to fall schedule. Right. Like Major League Soccer does. Right. But the international schedule of soccer, as we know, is fall to spring, you know, Premier League and Bundesliga and all that stuff. Um, So Super League is going to play on that international schedule. So there could be some overlap in players, um, but it, it will create a whole other slew of teams. Now, they've already announced like their first eight teams, I believe, but there's more teams that they know for sure will enter the league in the coming years and there's still some teams to be announced and that's where i think the opportunity is because there's just a higher volume of opportunities right two two different d1 leagues coming into the picture and the w league from usl like it's gotta happen in there some at some point right you have subaru park you do have some college stadiums that are viable in the area um i believe villanova has a, a nice stadium um, but uh, former player Heather Mitz, who played for a women's pro soccer team in Philadelphia, there's a pass, by the way, for both the, the basketball and soccer of previous teams and previous leagues that have gone under. Um, but that's because they haven't had this strong structure and, and backing. Right. Yeah. So Heather Heather Mitz has been part of a leadership group that has been trying to put together um, a a strong situation and she played for villanova so like their stadium has potential subaru park has potential but you know you never know with these these bids but right right. um but we do know that the union are thinking ahead along these lines because they've been building out a training facility uh, for themselves and their and so on and they're including space for a women's team to have facilities in that training facility fantastic yeah. Yeah. So it, it is it is really cool that they're planning for that, because the thing about the USL, too, is that's different from the NWSL. NWSL, great league. Love watching it. Um, go Utah Royals. That's a long story <laughs> for another day. But um, they are 
a league on its own. USL is a fully developmental league. Like I said, they have two tiers, plus they're going to have youth programs. Um, Which is great. You know, that, that'll feed into that. It's, it's a full structure, just like on the men's side. Right, you know? right. It's fantastic. So, I mean, there's fantastic. Yeah. There's opportunities out there, and it kind of like yeah. it kind of dovetails into the next topic I wanted to get into with you, Rachel, which is the fact that okay, I'll I'll go back to you know I read a recent article from the Women's Sports Foundation that said that girls in general have a 1.3 million fewer opportunities to play high school sports than boys have, and I was a little surprised, quite frankly, to see that it was that number and that by the age of 14, girls are dropping out of sports at two times the rate of boys. Now, this certainly isn't a reflection of every school district out there that offers sports programming to uh, their students, but this obviously is a reality out there in terms of opportunities that, that, that girls in general and females have or have not. And, and I think it sets the stage for possible stagnation when it comes to female athletics, you know, in later years here. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this phenomenon as it pertains to opportunities? Because again, I can't, I come from a school district where I was born and raised where there really was a lot of opportunity for female and male athletes. My daughters right now, they're in a school district. It's not the same one I was uh, uh, born and raised in, but it, it's, an, it's a school district that has a lot of opportunity for female and male athletes as well. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this phenomenon about women and girls having fewer opportunities to play uh, high school sports? Well, my my half joking answer to that is um, guys have more delusions of grandeur than women do. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, um, that's true. Um, it's not just and a so joke, they're going to stick true. with it longer because they're yeah. going to make it. They really will. No, right, I right. Swear. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think seriously is that until very recently, you know, the last decade, let's say, um, you know, there's been some individual sports, you know, like tennis, the golf that we, you know, we've talked about um, where, you know, you can make a living as a a, a woman athlete and. You know, and then like with Olympic sports in terms of you have sponsorship from the sports federations and, um, you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee and, and all of that. So yep. that's kind of a separate thing where they have facilities and stipends and all of that where they can make it their jobs. Right. But then they also work at the Home Depot because there's the commercials that um, tell you that. But yes. anyway, <laughs> um, but it's lack of a lack of an end game. I think in terms of like, well, if there's nothing, you know, I can't make a living at this, even though it's my passion, I cannot make a living at this and, you know, be able to support myself. Good point. Then yeah. you, ha- th- then you have to say, well, I now have to start doing the things and doing the activities and the academics and all of this other stuff to prepare me for a different career. So unfortunately I don't have time for sports anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, a huge, huge part of it. And there's also, you know, lack of financial support because it's expensive to do travel teams and, and to, to play sports at a high level. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> you know, the funding just doesn't match voice sports. It just doesn't. And in a lot of cases, especially with private, you know, regional leagues and, you know, all of that, it, it's, 
the funding isn't there. And so if you're not going to have the facilities and the support and the equipment and everything that you need to be successful in your sport, then like, is it a waste of my time? Yeah. And then, you know, there's also the social pressures. There's a a cultural devaluing of women's sports, which is utter garbage because I firmly believe that women's basketball and women's hockey are the better versions of the sports, but especially college, that. by the way, I'm just going to say this women's yeah. college basketball. Oh my God. So much of a better product than men's college basketball. We have said on this podcast platform, by a mile. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> my, my co-hosts and I, I don't think we've really watched much of March madness, the NCAA men's tournament. Uh, hardly Why? at all the past few Honestly. years. Honestly. Seriously. But I will watch the women's tournament like it's nobody's business. It's good stuff. It's good product. And it's just, it's changed over the years. Absolutely. And that's because it's gotten more investment. And yeah. I think that, you know, there's also a lack of knowledge about these games. And there's just an, a societal assumption that it's a lesser version of these games. And it's not right. lesser. It's different <laughs> exactly. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it's, it's not lesser, that's for sure. And, you know, when you only have, you know, 5% of their broadcast time spent on women's sports, how are people going to get exposed to it and learn those things? That that goes back to what I was saying, you know, at the very beginning. And then, of course, you have your general misogyny and sexism in society. And Let's get into like, that. That's my next topic. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's because, the next like, topic. I mean, if you look at any team posting about, women's sports or like you know for instance the nhl all-star game uh is imminent as of this recording and um they're doing a three-on-three tournament uh with the pwhl players and you look at the social media replies when they post about it and it's like who cares yeah exactly exactly not real hockey do they even check and stuff and if you've watched any pwhl games you know that's very physical and there's almost fight exactly exactly you know you talk about those comments on social media and of course we all know social media is what it is unacceptable uh in so many different ways but there definitely is sexism and stereotyping in sports there's no doubt about it i mean i recently read a survey that said girls as young as five years old many times feel that they actually don't belong in sports, as ridiculous as that sounds. And also, uh, only 30% of parents believe that playing a sport is very important for their daughter compared with 41% of parents for their son. So, I mean, it's it's all for me, it's like, how do we change this narrative? Again, I have two daughters who are involved in sports, and they have been now for many years. But how do we change this narrative of what female athletics can really bring to girls at a young age? Yeah, I mean, it's all the same things. That's the thing. It's yeah. like infuriating yes. that you have to even say it because it's like, oh, you learn about teamwork. You learn about setting goals. You know, it's like all the same things. Same thing with boys. You do. Learn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I and honestly, I think like for boys, there's more they need to learn sometimes in terms of discipline and um and things like that yeah but, you know girls girls need to learn those things too but i think they're just with socialization there's you know there it, it's different yes. it's different sometimes but um not all cases but it's different sometimes well as and, we're cl- oh go ahead i'm so sorry yeah I, I just think you know we're not there yet no. and um i think that you know as um 
as we move on, like there just shouldn't, this should not even come up. Of course, girls should play sports. Yes. (laughs) And I don't want, I don't want somebody like me who as a child was obsessed with hockey. Hockey has always been my favorite sport. And you know what? It never occurred to me to play it as a kid because it was not something that girls did. And I'm so like overwhelmed and joyous and thrilled for these women that are playing pro hockey at an elite level right now. It's just everything I could have hoped, wished, and dreamed. Absolutely. Well, again, folks, we're talking to Rachel Donner from the Locked on Flyers podcast. She mentioned that her favorite uh, sport is hockey. She and her co-host doing fantastic work over at the Locked on Flyers podcast. Check out what they're doing over there. And I guess to to kind of just end our conversation here as we're running out of time, Rachel, um, I mean, there's definitely that gender inequality in sports. You know, we've been talking about it here. They're trying or my I'm trying my best to like hit on these important topics within this conversation and discussion. You know, I mean, whether it's pay, marketing, promotion, media coverage, funding, stuff we've been talking about here on this show here, you know, there's no denying that there's that gender inequality in sports. So I'm wondering again, as, as a father who has two daughters involved in sports here, what are your thoughts on how do we raise awareness of this and raise awareness so that it doesn't drive people away from gaining an understanding of the inequity, if that makes sense, because too many times, as you mentioned, you know, you're on you're on these social platforms and people are so dismissive. How do we raise this awareness so that it doesn't drive people away from this important subject? Yeah, I think it's kind of a if you build it, they will come attitude okay. and demand it. Yeah. Demand the coverage from broadcasters, from local sports broadcasting coverage and say, you know, on your local news, do they cover the women's sports in your area? The yeah. women's high school tournaments, all of that. And, you know, like one of the most um, incredible stories to come out of sports, I I think, not just women's sports, but sports in general over, you know, the last year or so is, I don't know if you remember last year, but um, they filled Cornhusker Stadium yes. in Nebraska. We did, a, 92, we did a segment on the show here about yeah, it. Yes. Yep. 92,000 fans to watch women's college volleyball Volleyball. yep like what an incredible achievement and like that can happen anywhere that sort of stuff can happen anywhere you see it with them breaking attendance records with the pwhl you know up in minnesota they had over ten thousand people attend that game they had 9k up in ottawa which filled the building like it's doable you just have to put the money in and you have and you have to have people demand it and you have to have men demand more women's sports on television. Yes. Because, you know, as an old fart women's sports fan, <laughs> I've been screaming about this for forever, but the voices are getting louder now. And we're we're demanding this and it has to come from everybody. And just more women's sports on TV, more women's sports coverage. And put your money where your mouth is, because it'll work. I promise you. And that volleyball game proved it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, folks, Rachel Donner from the Locked on Flyers podcast. A fantastic discussion, Rachel. Really, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for coming on the directness of of, of this entire conversation. I so very much appreciated it. And uh, I'm hoping to talk some flyers with you down the road. Let's talk talk more women's sports in general, too. Join us down the road. I'd love to have you on again, my friend. Absolutely. 
Such a great conversation with Rachel. And I, I can tell you right now, as a father of two daughters and both of my daughters involved in athletics, and they have been from an early age, for anybody out there who does have daughters, you know, whether you're a male or a female, uh, you know, you're a mom or a dad, you know, I, w- I would just highly encourage you to continue to, to, to drive home and to, you know, have those positive messages at the dinner table or when you're driving your kids to and from activities about how important sports are because, you know, they really, at the end of the day, help build a lot of character with uh, our youth. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, I talk to my daughters about it every now and then. I had a daughter that was a very accomplished gymnast, a regionals champion in terms of uh, USA Gymnastics. My other daughter is going to be actually training for her black belt very soon here in 2024 in karate. And uh, I would say by the fall is going to be a black belt, uh, God willing. So it's uh, it's so important that we continue to just drive home to our young kids, you know, that, uh, that, that there is a place for them in the sports world. I truly believe no matter anybody's talent level, that from a sports perspective, everybody can participate. It's the, my hope that wherever you are listening to this, that the opportunities are there. I know Rachel and I were talking about, you know, some females, girls, women don't actually have those opportunities, but to really seek them out. So uh, anyway, I'm going to stop talking here. It was a great, great table talk episode. And uh, we got more great content coming to you this week. Here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, we've got a great opposition territory uh, podcast where we're going to be talking about the Atlanta Braves this week. We're going to be talking about some Major League Baseball offseason storylines. And then on our regular show this week, we are really going to be diving into the Philadelphia 76ers and what we've been seeing from this team as of late. So lots of great content coming for you here at the PST Podcast Show. I'm Jeff Warren. You can follow me on threads at Mr. Jeff Warren. The show, you can follow on threads at uh, Philadelphia Sports Table. I'm on X Twitter at <laughs> Jeffrey underscore Warren, and the show is there at Philadelphia PST. The experience has just gotten terrible over the years, but we're still there. Anyway, folks, you all take care. We'll catch you on the next episode, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, night, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, take care. We'll catch you next time. We'll be right back.